0: Light that, Sparkfire Nation, JLD here, and welcome to episode 1867 of EO Fire, where I chat with entrepreneurs on fire seven days a week. And if you're ready to accomplish that one big goal, visit thefreedomjournal.com, and you'll accomplish that goal in 100 days. Now let's shout with today's featured guest, Joe Knight. Joe, are you prepared to ignite
1: I'm on fire yes
0: I love it Joe is a Harvard business best-selling author and founder of setpoint systems and the business literacy institute he provides venture capital seed money and enjoys mentoring startups Joe take a minute fill in some gaps from that intro and give us a little glimpse of your personal life
1: well, you know, John, uh, we started everything started with Setpoint, and and uh, I got involved in Setpoint because two engineers wanted to start a business where they could get into the amusement park ride business and also build factory automation. My role there was to help them make it a very open financial company. I came from Ford Motor Company, MBA from Berkeley, and wanted out of corporate America and wanted small business opportunities. So we built a business around a philosophy that if you share the numbers with the employees on a weekly basis, give provide bonuses keep everybody in the loop on the statements, train them on the statements. You can grow a, a really strong business out of that. I developed a method to teach finance, to teach how to read the statements, how to understand them and, and how to use them as a tool in your business. That led to the book that you mentioned, financial intelligence, a bestseller for Harvard business review press. That's grown a business called the business literacy Institute. When I'm not involved in set point systems, I'm involved um, in my training company, I travel around the world, work with major five, Fortune 500 companies all the way down to startups, helping them learn how to understand their financials, how to read them, how to track them and get into them. We also do a little angel investing now. We've um, built a few businesses and sold them that have spun out of Setpoint systems. And uh, I guess you could say I'm am a I'm a serial entrepreneur, although I don't feel like I fit that role. It just kind of came upon me in the last 10 years.
0: (laughs) Well, Fire Nation, if you're recognizing Joe's voice or the name or both, that's because about 1,600 episodes ago, aka 1,600 days ago, uh, he was on Entrepreneur on Fire. That was episode 245. So definitely go check out that episode if you want to hear Joe's worst entrepreneurial moments, his aha moments, the lightning rounds. Today, we're going to be talking about his area of expertise in depth. But, Joe, before we get into that, what would you say your area of expertise is? Share with us your specialty.
1: My specialty is to understand how to make money in a business and understand the financials, particularly cash flow, understanding your cash flow, understanding key metrics in your business. And then this will sound kind of strange, but I'm kind of an intuitive finance guy. I like, to, I like the 30,000-foot view. I like to get a feel for things and look at a business from an intuitive sense and I use intuition to look at finance and help people understand where there's problems or holes in their story and in their numbers. So I, I really, uh, that's really what I do. I teach my own employees finance. I teach people around the world how to understand finance. And, uh, and really, I don't consult finance. I don't tell people what to do. I just tell them how to understand their business financially, what they need to do to make it more successful in terms of the metrics and where they need to go, and then let them run with it. Joe, what do you find
0: entrepreneurs like myself, like Fire Nation, what do you find that we don't know about finance that, frankly, we probably should?
1: When our book came out, it's a very basic book, financial intelligence that go, that goes through the three statements, talks about the art of finance and how I, how finance and accounting is a uh, more of an art than a science, which is shocking to most people. Numbers can change day in and day out by how you interpret them, and then we and then we do a little bit about uh, ratios and key metrics and things you look at, particularly how to measure cash flow and understand you know, making payroll, which is the, one of the most important things. And what we learned is that many executives in large companies, small companies don't understand finance on the, on a very basic level. In fact, so many people would read our book and ask us to come and train them. And they'd say, for example, big companies like GE, as an example, would say, hey, our executives are a high level financially, so we don't need the basic course, we need a high level course. And I'd always argue with the, the leadership of their training group, <laughs> they need a basic course. What we did is we developed a simple true-false multiple-choice test that we've used nationally now for years, developed in an 09. And the average score on a 25-question true-false multiple-choice test that my partner Karen Berman developed, she's a PhD in educational psychology, was 38%. And so when we give this test to our executive teams, to entrepreneurs, to others, we get about 38%. The highest scores we ever see is in the mid to upper 50s. And these are senior executives in large public companies. So the first point I want to make is, When you're in a room and everybody shakes their head and they say, oh, yeah, EBITDA, I know all about EBITDA, that's a really important number. They really don't know how to derive it. They don't know what it means. They don't know why it's so important. Those are the kinds of things I do. I help people understand that in my Business Literacy Institute company. Of course, on the other hand, at Setpoint, we're a manufacturing company, and I'm also involved in that business as well.
0: The blind, leading the blind, Fire Nation. Be wary. So, Joe, I want to kind of talk right now about some ventures that you've recently invested in. I mean, here it is, 2017, a lot's going on in the world. You know, we've been in a bull market for quite some time. Things are on fire. So what are some ventures that you've invested in? Like, what are you excited about?
1: You know, I'm interested in a lot of different ventures. We, we're involved in a, a small medical group trying to do a build a cash-only doctor's medical network. We're involved in a business that we call Stimpak, which is a, a, an energy drink and stimulants for the gaming industry using a little bit of a network marketing strategy but kind of a spin on it that's a little different. Um, we're also involved in, in a, a, a solar company that we put some angel money in, and we're helping a founder with some, some nice uh, small portable solar panels that we think have a lot of things going on. And then, uh, and then we're always looking for new things as angel investors. We do a little real estate on the side to put some money on, on the side in some safe places, but we've had a good time with, uh, with those kinds of things lately.
0: So Joe, one thing that I think my audience, Fire Nation, would be pretty interested about is how you specifically deal with difficult founders who just love their idea too much. Because here's Fire Nation, you know, we are entrepreneurs, we're small business owners, we're solopreneurs, we're wantpreneurs, we're cypreneurs, we're all of this mix. And we love our ideas. We're passionate about it. But you know, a lot of us need or want some kind of venture capital. So how do you deal with difficult founders when they do love their idea too much so that maybe we can learn some tidbits when we you know maybe go for that venture capital rounds
1: i'm a really blunt guy and i'm a finance guy and the only reason why you start any business is to make money so if i can't quickly understand how you're going to get profitable and how you're going to generate cash i'm checking out on you and so many entrepreneurs have a dream they have an idea i was recently working with an entrepreneur that we put some money in and uh he uh, he had this great idea. It was going to change an industry. It was dynamic, all these great things going on. And he said, and I said, you know what? I've looked at your model. I've looked at your financials and I can't see profitability for more than two years. I'm not interested in this. And he said, don't you want to create a big vision? Don't you want to change this industry? And I said, no, I want to make money and I want to make it sooner than two years. So I'm done with you. And one of the things I have problem, a problem with is is if you can't make money, your dream will never be realized. You'll never get there. And so you can't separate the profitability and the cash flow from your from your idea, no matter how great it is.
0: If you can't make money, your dream will never... Be realized, Fire Nation, just realize those words. So you say you're blunt, Joe, but what do you kind of come back with? Like what do you want? really wanna make sure the founders, um, who just love their idea too much, like what do you wanna have them shift in that mindset beyond just that making money point? I mean, I know that's like the key thing, but what's the, what's the mindset shift they need to have?
1: The shift they need to have is, is first, most founders are, are very sales oriented and they wanna grow revenue and grow the business quickly. They need to understand that they need someone operational on their team and they need a team that can get to profitability as soon as possible and get to positive cash flow as soon as possible. The size of the idea might justify a bigger investment, but the sooner you get to your own profitability, the more likely you'll have the freedom to do the things you want to do. And so making sure you have a team that's well-rounded, making sure that you have partners that understand the vision and have a a clear timeline on when you're going to get to that profitability number. Those are the kinds of things that you need to do as an entrepreneur. You know, I like to say when I listen to an angel, angel investor presentation, um, if, I heard the, if I hear the term, we need more synergies and we're going to pivot, I, I just check right out because that's saying, first, we don't have the right direction. We're going to pivot. We're going to go somewhere else. And two, synergies means we need to cut costs out. And I want someone who's looking to grow something, to get profitable, and to get to cash flow very quickly. And I don't like some of that terminology that I hear, the jargon, if you will.
0: Well, that might be one of the reasons why you started teaching finance to entrepreneurs because you didn't like that jargon. You want to kind of bring some clarity and some reality to this world. So kind of talk to me about how you started teaching finance to entrepreneurs and share why.
1: These two engineers came to me and they said, we've got this great business concept. We've left a company. We're starting this, this business that does automation. We've loved to build amusement park rides, which we did with a former employer that went bankrupt on us. But we want to be completely transparent with the numbers. We want to share the numbers with our employees and their CPA that was helping them set up the business said, you guys are crazy. You're going to fail. They also said, you need to follow gap accounting. You need to follow the rules to do project-based accounting. And you guys aren't doing that with your little QuickBooks models you're using. So I came in and looked at that with them. And I said, first of all, I think it's a great idea to share numbers with your employees. And number two, we don't have to follow any gap accounting rules. We don't have to follow what the CPA says. If you have a way that makes sense to you on how to measure profitability, let's just do it. And we built a system around that. I also taught them some basic terms in finance, like they used to call gross profit aggregate remainder. And I said, you know what? We call this gross profit in finance and accounting. And it's a critical number if you want to be a successful business. And then we started tracking those key numbers with the employees and showing them every week. We had a little bonus plan attached to it. This was 25 years ago, and we still run the same system today, and that system had training buried into it. I was asked every month then when I presented the statements to explain the acronyms and the language I was using, and so I've developed a module on the income statement, the balance sheet, the statement of cash flow, taught them some key ratios, taught them how we negotiate with the banks and how we get those ratios to give us a credit line and do those kinds of things, and that led to the book I wrote. So it really started organically in my own small business that I helped start with two engineers. Fire
0: Nation, we have some value bombs coming your way from Joe Knight as soon as we get back from thanking our sponsors. What do music owners and a franchise have in common? Well, if you love music and you've thought about one day owning a franchise, then School of Rock is a children's services franchise you should definitely check out. School of Rock is a network of over 200 locations and 25,000 students worldwide. And School of Rock owners love their business because they get to pass the torch of musicality to a new generation of musicians within their community and operate a profitable business at the same time. School of Rock is a network of over 200 locations and 25,000 students worldwide and the program gets kids up on stage and playing at real rock venues in addition to taking them on tour, offering recording opportunities, and having them workshop with accomplished musicians. Entrepreneur Magazine even named School of Rock 2017's number one child enrichment program. Want to learn more? School of Rock has put together an exclusive download just for you. Visit franchising.schoolofrock.com. Contact the School of Rock team and tell them Entrepreneurs on Fire sent you. That's franchising.schoolofrock.com. As an entrepreneur, you need to be ready for any challenge that comes your way. LinkedIn Learning is the entrepreneur's ultimate skills development resource and features all the content from lynda.com, the leader in online learning for the past 20 years. Whether you want to develop a business plan or growth marketing strategy, design a website or master SEO, LinkedIn Learning has courses for all experience levels covering a wide range of business, tech and creative skills. I'm taking a course on life cycle marketing foundations, which is is a great way to understand the customer journey. This helps you learn how to target customers, tailor the messaging, and how to retain them over time. Very actionable for anyone looking to grow their business. Your membership gives you full access to all the courses you want for one monthly price, available from anywhere in the world on your computer or mobile device. Right now, LinkedIn Learning is offering our listeners, you, Fire Nation, a free 30-day trial. Just visit linkedin.com fire to sign up and try Try it free for 30 days. That's linkedin.com slash fire. So Joe, we're back. And I think one thing that I know I have a question about, because I just don't have that much knowledge, and I'm sure Fire Nation does as well, is the different kind of deals that VCs can offer and that you can get as an entrepreneur when it comes to venture capital. So you can you kind of maybe walk us through some of these different deals and you know, maybe even break down the pros and the cons of some of your favorites?
1: Now, first of all, there's going to be a group the private equity group. And they're going to come to you with deals where they're going to, they're going to buy your company, but they're going to want to leverage it. And they're going to go through a very formal process where they're going to do uh, a kind of a checkout on your company. A lot of interviews get into a little bit of information. Then they're going to offer you an LOI. Then after the LOI, you go through at least a three month due diligence process, a full audit on your books. If you're a small business, you're probably not doing an audit unless your bank forced you to. And then you get a deal. But once you do a venture capital based deal, they're going to put you. They're going to put debt on your books usually, and you're going to have hard numbers you have to hit to pay down that debt. And they're really looking to flip your company in three or four years. Another kind of deal is to get with angel investors. Angel investors, and I do a, a little bit of this, is are investors who want to just help someone start out, and they will take small amounts of equity for small micro investments, anywhere from two thousand up to a couple hundred thousand, and they'll put that money in. They'll take the equity and these. These uh, kind of investors are usually more like mentors. They want to spend time with your business. They might come in and help you. And so you're getting an advisor as well as an investor as you do angel investments. Now, between those two areas, a micro angel investor and a full on venture capital buy, you have all kinds of mixes or different points that can happen when you do a deal. Um, for, um, for example, you can sell part of your business to a larger company, to a, to a customer. That's another kind of deal you can do where you sell a portion of it to a customer that, that's key to your supply chain or their supply chain. Um, you can also look at opportunities to, to uh, integrate into um, a different industry or move to industries that way and find people that way. Those are the kind, of the kind of the continuum that I see when I look at the deals that take place. One of the things you need to do is make sure that when you do a deal, you're working with someone who understands your industry, the kinds of things you're looking for, and, uh, and how you want to be successful.
0: Joe, there's a lot of things that I just don't get when it comes to investing and venture capital and things along those lines. You know, what are the key metrics? Like, What are the ratios that a founder can use to negotiate the best deal? I mean, when it comes to the fact that we've decided, okay, we have a business, we want to talk you know, to a venture capital firm, we want to talk about potential seed money or whatever that might be, like, what are those things that we as the business owner should really be focused on?
1: The first and foremost number in any business deal, if you're selling your business, Today, and I'm, and as a financial analyst, I don't agree with this, but this is the most important number in the, the capital world, people buying businesses. That number is EBITDA. That's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Now, the perception of that is, is that EBITDA is actually an indication of cash flow coming out of your business. Even though it's not cash flow, it comes from your income statement or your P&L. EBITDA is the key metric to drive value in your business. Most businesses are purchased by venture capitalists or private equity groups based on multiples of EBITDA. So, for example, if your business is a million dollars of EBITDA this last year and your multiple in your industry is about five, chances are these groups are going to offer you about five million dollars or five times your EBITDA number subject to an audit and checking your numbers and verifying everything in a process we call due diligence. So... That is the first number they look at. The second method that's very commonly used is what we call discounted cash flow. And that method is, is what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your latest EBITDA or a cash flow number. If uh, some more sophisticated um, ventures, venture investors will look at your actual cash flow from a different statement called the cash flow statement. And they'll say, let's project your cash flow for out for the next 10 years. Let's assume a simple growth rate from that point on. And let's discount it to the present using a method we call net Present value or NPV, and figure out what the future potential cash flows of your business. Now, some of you might be in a business that hasn't quite made it to profitability and generating cash flow or EBITDA, and so the discounted cash flow method is the only method you can get value out of it. My partner and I, uh, Brad Angus, who I've worked together for years, great guy. He and I, my business partner, I should say, um, were able to put together a, a ammunition business out that that grew out of Setpoint Systems and sell it for a uh, low seven figures after before, while we still were not profitable based on a discounted cash flow model, wow. because we had some buyers that were very interested in the potential and they believed our story going forward. And so that is possible, but you have to get away from the EBITDA because you don't have an EBITDA, you're negative. And, and so those are the two metrics that are primarily used to value your business. And so consequently, a lot of entrepreneurs are working so hard to drive revenue and grow and get bigger. They don't realize that they've got to focus on those things because someday, let's all admit it, someday you're going to have to exit that business. And when you exit, you have to have a business that someone would want to buy. And so you need to think about those kinds of things like, like these, these models and also think about ways to get a diversity of customers, all the things that would make your business more valuable to the outside world, not just to yourself, because you're not going to be an entrepreneur running your own business for the rest of your life, at least not likely.
0: Joe, what are you most fired up about right now?
1: I'm most fired up about all the business opportunities out there. I think there's a lot of great opportunities. We see so many good business deals. I feel like the multiples on businesses have come down a little bit lower. We had this trough. I also am excited about the fact that the whole economy today is focusing on cash flow. Ten years ago, when I taught finance to these large corporate partners, they would always be focused on revenue, profit, and EBITDA, but today- uh, terms like free cash flow and driving cash have become very important, and I think that's so critical to an entrepreneur to understand that profit is not cash. And, and so I've, I find that very interesting. I've been a big um, devotee of, of Warren Buffett. And any of you who have a chance, buy a few B-class stocks and go to one of Warren Buffett's annual meetings before he's, he's not with us. He's a treasure. But you learn a lot by looking at the way he looks at companies, and he absolutely uses only cash flow to value the businesses he buys, large or small, and he focuses on um, the discounted cash flow model and measuring cash looking forward. With the financial crisis and all the fraud we had in the past, Wall Street now realizes and investors realize, both large and small, that the way to be safe in an investment is to make sure you're buying a business that has a path to generate cash flow because cash is a tangible asset that's not subject to estimates and assumptions like profit and EBITDA.
0: We can't believe all the hype we see and the media can go overblown sometimes, but I mean, how do you really confirm this stuff? I mean, we've heard cases of like Enron and other ones where even the accountants, you know, they're fudging numbers. I mean, how can we really trust things that we're seeing in cash flow numbers that we're getting? Like, what's the validation process?
1: The problem with Enron and WorldCom and, and Tyco and Rite Aid, we could go on and on, was everybody was focused during that time on profit and EBITDA, and the thinking was, if you have EBITDA, you'll eventually have cash flow. But what was happening is, is companies were fraudulently reporting EBITDA to get their stock up, to drive up value when they were being sold. But there was no cash flow to go with it. If you tr- focus on cash flow, you will not be cheated.
0: But can't you fudge the cash flow as well? I mean, how does that? No, happen?
1: no, you can't because cash flow is on a balance sheet, and every quarter you're going to have to report that balance sheet. And if I was going to buy a business, I'd want to look at your balance sheet. And on the balance sheet, the top line of every balance sheet has your cash balance. And your cash flow statement shows how you built that balance. So I can verify how much money you have in all your checking accounts. I can verify all of your cash. And so if I compare profit to cash flow, then I know and that cash flow validates the profit. Then I know that I've got a business that isn't committing fraud. So really... Understanding the cash on the balance sheet and understanding that cash is going up over time by checking the bank statements and the real concrete asset, which is cash, you eliminate the risk that comes from the Enrons of the world.
0: Joe, let's end today on fire, brother, with you giving us a parting piece of guidance. Share the best way that we can connect with you and with with what you have going on right now, and then we'll say goodbye.
1: Okay, great. Uh, I want to invite everybody to look at my book, business Literacy. Um, uh, and look at look at my book, Financial Intelligence, and go to my website, business-literacy.com. One of the things we have there is a resource, a glossary of financial terms. If you hear someone say something, your accountant says something, go to business-literacy.com, and you'll be able to look up some of those terms. I also have a nice version of online training that will teach you the three statements, help you understand how to track and follow your cash flow, and all those kinds of things. So you, you'll be able to get online training there as well. And um, I just want to say, say to everybody that one of the most important things in a business is to understand that if you're profitable, your idea will live. And if you're not profitable, if you're losing money and not generating cash, it doesn't matter how good your idea is or how great you think your business is, it will fail.
0: If you're profitable, your idea will live, Fire Nation. And that's what we're here for as entrepreneurs, to share our message, our mission, our voice with the world You need profits to keep that message going. So Fire Nation, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and you have been hanging out with JK and JLD today, so keep up the heat. Head over to eofire.com, type Joe in the search bar. His show notes page will pop up with everything that we've been talking about today. These are the best show notes in the biz, timestamps, links galore. And of course, the past episode with Joe was episode 245, so check that one out as well. And Joe, thank you for sharing your journey with Fire Nation today. For that, we salute you, and we'll catch you on the flip side.
1: Thank you. Pleasure.
0: Hey, Fire Nation. Hope you enjoyed our chat with Joe today. And from accomplishing goals to launching podcasts to creating funnels and webinars that actually convert, I have four free courses waiting for you at eofire.com. And I will catch you there, Fire Nation, or I will catch you on the flip side.